And so the reading for today continues from the book of Nehemiah, um, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It's from chapter 4, starting at verses 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by their families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah, who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore the sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me, took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So this morning, our theme is sticking with the vision. We're thinking about being determined. And um, whenever I think about people who are determined, my uh, youngest daughter always comes to mind. She's seven now. But ever since she's been a little girl, she has always had this very kind of determined character. And um, when you think about the first words that uh, children speak and the first sentences that they utter, well, hers was, I do it. And it has just, from that moment on, that just showed us something of what was to uh, come in the future and everything, right from trying to put her own nappies on, including nappy cream, I do it. And when we taught her to ride a bike, usually you run alongside, don't you, and kind of hold on to the back of the bike or to the child. Well, no, I do it. That was Heather. And she's always been, that's just her character. And uh, Tim and I often say to each other, I hope she uses that determination to succeed in life. I'm sure she will in all that she, all that she does. But um, we're looking at Nehemiah, who was also a character who was very determined 
and it's been really interesting over the past few weeks to see more of who he was as a person and to look at the people that he worked with and his situation. And um, I hope, like me, that you found it inspiring, not only for us as individuals, but inspiring for our life as a church community as well. So hopefully this last instalment will be the same. And um, this morning we're going to have a look at some of the parts in the story. So it might be helpful if you want to look at your Bibles, um, if you want a page number, it's number 400, page 455. And you can just have a look and find some of these points in the story to help us look at this theme. But as we begin, I thought it'd be really helpful just to do a quick recap as to where we've been so far. So remember where this this story is set. At the time of Nehemiah, the Israelites have been in exile in Babylonia for 70 years. And in the year 536 BC, under the rule of Zerubbabel, the uh, first wave of people were allowed to return to Israel to begin rebuilding their lives and their homes in that place. But these were people who were worn out and disheartened after all they'd been through. And um, still after 90 years of being back in Jerusalem, they still haven't done all that they'd wanted to do and accomplish all that they'd desired to accomplish. And in particular, we hear in this story how the city walls remained a mass of rubble waiting to be rebuilt. And these walls were a physical thing, but not only that, they symbolised the pride and the protection of the people. But they were not as they should have been. And so it's into this situation that Nehemiah is called by God. He was a person who was touched by what he saw, the situation that there was. But more than that, it wasn't enough for him just to be touched by what he saw. He actually wanted to do something about it and he did and we've seen his character that he was somebody who took the time to assess the situation to see what needed to happen to rely on God and to have a vision for what needed to happen in that place he didn't just rush in blindly and we've seen also how he inspired and mobilised the people around him He worked together with them and amazingly, together, they achieved all that they'd longed to do for such a long time and they did that in a very short period of time. But before we start to think that this was an easy task, just something to get on with, quick and easy to do, this morning I just wanted to take a few minutes to have a further look at what Nehemiah and the people actually had to endure and go through in order for this vision to become a reality of rebuilding the walls and the pride of the people. I want us to see what it meant for them to stick with the vision. And I hope in the process we'll be able to learn something about ourselves as individuals and about the life of a church here in this place. Because this wasn't just a case of coming up with a plan and going for it. This was actually a course of action that was littered with potential hindrances. 
and therefore it's a story that could have had a very different ending. Yes, we know that Nehemiah was blessed with this wonderful group of people who got on board and supported the vision and wanted to get their hands dirty and do the work. But actually, as you look into the story, there are actually three people in particular whose names come up time and time again. And their names were Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem. Three characters, three people of influence who went out of their way to oppose the work and to stop it from happening. And we're told in the, in the story, in the account, that when they learned of the rebuilding of the walls, they became angry and were greatly incensed. They sought to undermine Nehemiah's vision and the work of the people. And when we look, we can see that they did it in three ways. I want to mention those now just briefly. Firstly, they ridiculed. They chose to ridicule what was happening. And it's one good way, isn't it, whether we've experienced this ourselves, I don't know, but it's one good way to knock people off track. They chose to laugh at their efforts and what they were doing. And if you have got your Bibles open, then you can see chapter 4, those first verses, 1 to 3. We hear them say, what are they building? If even a fox jumped up onto it, he would break down their walls of stones. They ridiculed what was happening. Plan B was to knock them off course by spreading rumours, trying to destroy what was happening by discrediting it. And if we look back to the beginning of chapter 2, you can see in the story there that they try to kind of ask Nehemiah if he's plotting against the king and they try to make him believe that that's what people are thinking. They try to just kind of skew the truth and make it all feel as though it's not on a sure footing. And when these two failed, then they went for plan C, which was this full-on attack that we've heard about this morning. Chapter 4, verse 8 says how they all plotted together to come up and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. I'm sure none of us would admit to ever doing any of those things. There are plenty more, but the ridiculing or rumours. But it's difficult, isn't it? It makes us think that when there's vision, then actually it's possible to respond in one of two ways. Maybe when change happens in our work life or even the life of our church, it's possible to respond by getting on board with what's happening lending a hand, throwing ourselves into it. Or if the vision is uncomfortable, maybe doesn't sit very easily with us. Often visions tend to be like that. Then maybe we can choose to try and oppose it and to maybe knock down what is being built. But the truth is that actually whenever God is giving vision to his people and people are working out God's plans, then there will be opposition, won't there? I'm sure many of us know that to be true. And I know for myself that the further I go on my Christian journey, that I know that to be, to be true. So what can we learn this morning from the example of Nehemiah and these people in this place? How do they stick with the vision in the face of this opposition that we've seen? How do they stand firm 
when the going gets tough. Well, I can see as I've looked at this passage, I can see that there's four really important principles and helpfully I've given them all, um, they begin with a P, so we can remember them. And I want us to just take a look at those now for a few minutes. Firstly, really, really crucially and importantly, they were prayerful. Nehemiah has a prayerful life, a faithful prayer life. And whenever opposition comes, we see how his first response is always to pray. You see the pattern that emerges if you're looking at your Bibles, chapter 4, verse 3, and then 4. Opposition comes, and then he turns immediately to God to pray. There are people who are dedicated and disciplined in their prayer life. It matters. It has a high priority. And for us too, the challenge is there. As we work with vision, as we progress in our lives as Christians and as a church together, the same dedication to prayer is needed. Are we falling at God's feet in prayer, asking for his help and his protection in all that we face? Is prayer a high enough priority for us and for us as a community together? Could it be higher? Is it the first response Or is it the last, kind of desperate, everything else has failed, and so we pray? And I know in the life of our church, we've got places where it's very clearly we have Tuesday morning prayer, we have one event which are to pray, but actually it's never practical for us all to be able to come together to pray at those points. So the challenge for each one of us is, are we praying for one another in our home groups, therefore, Are we praying in our kind of friendship groups, the people that we know and get along with well? Are we praying before our activities? Do we pray for one another in our work lives and in our family lives? Do people know what's happening in our lives and are people praying for us? It shows the importance of prayer. For Nehemiah and the people, they pray first and then they get on with the job. And we see that when they've prayed, they can do that. So we rebuilt the wall and all the people worked with all their heart. The prayer gives them the confidence to go on with what God is doing. And so secondly then, they take practical steps to protect themselves against opposition. They don't choose to be blind or naive to the situation that they're in and carry on merrily doing what they're doing. In the reading we've heard this morning, we hear that there's the steps that Nehemiah takes to be practical, to be organised, to make sure that people are protected and able to get on with the job they've been asked to do. He posts men along the walls, ready for any attack. They cover one another's backs, really strikingly, that half of them are working and half of them are there, supporting, being ready to protect They don't work as individuals, they work as a team together. And they have this, there's this image of this trumpet um, that gets blown when there's a, a difficulty because they're spread out. They know that they need to come together and actually stand together when difficulty strikes. And I've got the slide of the ants. Hopefully it doesn't, those kind of things always make you start to itch, don't they? But um, it's just to, um, just to say, it's quite striking that ants, actually, whenever one of them is attacked, 
they all, it's really fascinating to watch, isn't it? They come together and they work together to protect their colony, but they just, it's obviously inbuilt that actually if one is attacked, then they all come together to fight and protect. And so what about us as a church this morning? Are we fighting as a team or are we just about being an individual? Who's covering our back? Do we have people who are supporting us and praying for us as we work and as we minister? Other people who know our weak points and our vulnerabilities, we all have them. But are we able to share those with people that we're close to so that they're able to pray for us and support us and cover us? Are we looking out for one another in everything that we do? Are we strong, therefore, because we're working together? Or is it easy for us to be broken apart? If we're committed to working out God's vision for us as a church, then we need to be just as committed to stand together in it, protecting each other, and just as committed as these people were to stop the rumours, the ridicule, the attack on us, not allowing it to get in amongst us at all. And so thirdly then, Nehemiah is a person who praises God. He knows the power of praise. And he tells the people in the reading that we heard that striking verse, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. There is great power in praise. And it's a powerful weapon for us to use too whenever and wherever and as often as we can. We have um, a friend, Phil Warren, who um, I trained with when I trained for ministry in Nottingham. And he's now um, a vicar on uh, Jersey, so he'll be working with Ian. And um, he's rural dean there, but he's a lovely guy. And he tells a story of when he was riding his uh, bike up the hill to college where we trained and a lot of people used to do that. It's quite a busy road. And um, he tells of the day that he did this. And um, actually, he was nearly in um, a, a terrible car accident. A car came up behind him and um, was going to knock him off his bike. But strikingly, at the time, and he didn't realise the significance until afterwards, he was singing a song that he'd written, a worship song, because he's a worship leader. And um, he was singing this this praise song, and um, he had the most incredible experience of being lifted up and lifted out of the way and onto the pavement and actually even landed on his feet. And the witnesses to this near accident and, um, and the driver of the car were just utterly amazed at what had happened. And Phil himself was a real sceptic before, really, of these things, but just was able to tell this amazing story of how God, and he really believed that it was part of the praise that he was singing and how he was just worshipping God, that he was taken from harm. There's real, real power in praise, and I think much more than really we can understand or imagine. Let's never stop praising God because such um, strongholds are broken down and God's kingdom is built up. And it's not just times of worship here, although they are just so important as we're gathered together as church, but also in our life day by day as well. Let's continue to praise God and see the power that there is in that.
So fourthly and, and finally, when they had taken these practical steps, we see that they are a people who press on boldly with the job in hand. And strikingly, we're told, we're given this image with a work tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. They're not derailed by what goes on. They stand firm and stick to the vision to rebuild the walls and restore the pride of the people. Always ready and prepared to fight for what they believe is right. And we hear that last verse, don't we? Neither I nor my brothers or my men took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. They didn't either or become complacent or give up until the job was done. And because of this, they're able to achieve all that God has given them to do. And so for us too, the challenge is there. We're called to press on as well. We're called to take these practical steps but we're called to press on boldly with the work that God has given us to do. We're called to be totally dedicated to God's work in this place. And so then this morning, to finish, I'll just leave us with the question, what do we need to do so that we can increasingly be a prayerful people, a practical people, a praising people, a people who press on. That's what God calls us to do. What do we need to do to increasingly be like that so that we are able, just like Nehemiah and the people in that time, to stand firm, to stick with the vision so that God's kingdom is built in this place. Amen.